even over this past year. Uh, so thank you for continuing to support our partners around the globe. It's good to see you this morning. Great to be here with you. I hope that your morning has gone well, and I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word with you. We'll be in Luke chapter 4, uh, as Justin said, in just a moment. You know, it's amazing. It is amazing how things that take a long time to build, things that take a, a decent amount of time to build, can be gone in just a moment, can be destroyed or taken care of in just a moment. We have at our, at our house, on our board game shelf, we have this game uh, called Quick Cups. And my youngest daughter, Kate, uh, Nora, she's two and a half years old, she likes to get that game off the shelf and she brings it over to me and the game has 20 cups inside of it. They're all about the size of a Dixie cup, like what you would use in, in the bathroom when you're brushing your teeth, but they're all hard plastic. And we don't play the game that you're supposed to play with those cups when Nora brings it over. Instead, all she wants, us on, on, wants to do is to build the tallest tower we can build with those 20 cups. And so we'll take our time because it's not easy. They're these little tiny cups. They're kind of lightweight. Once you get five or six high, they start to sway a little bit. And so we'll sometimes build a pyramid in different shapes, and we'll finally get all 20 into a tower. The second that we get all 20 cups into a tower, her face lights up, and she does the same thing every single time. She stands up. She starts laughing. She runs out of our living room, runs around the island in our kitchen, and comes flying back into the living room, squealing, and then she kicks. And in a second, all of those cups that we had just spent minutes putting together are all over the living room, and now we have to go and find them and pick them up and put them back together. And then what does she want to do? She wants to build another tower. And it's great fun. I love playing this game, but I, you know, by the 12th time that I'm spending you know, 10 minutes putting these cups back up, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit challenging to continue to play, it, but it's like that, isn't it? That things that take time to build, if we're not careful, can be gone in a moment. You ever go on YouTube and watch the videos of the, the buildings imploding, or you see that on the news? They usually put that on the news. They're taking down the old stadium or an old skyscraper or something. Those are, those are interesting videos to watch, but it's one of those moments where, or it's one of those times where in just a few seconds, something that took years and years to plan and build is gone. Or you watch the show where they're searching for gold in Alaska and they walk the land and they say these trees have been here for a hundred years and look at the, the topography of the land that's, that took forever to form that way and then they hop in their D10 bulldozer and within minutes, it's all gone. And it's amazing how things that take a long time to put together can be undone very quickly. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know we've been talking through temptation. And temptation is one of those things, this voice inside of us or, or this inclination that we have to do the things that God tells us not to do or to not do the things that God tells us to do. That desire, that moment, that voice, that's what we mean when we talk about temptation. And it's a, temptation is one of those things where if we're not careful, giving in to temptation can in a moment undo what takes days, months, years, or a lifetime to build. And I think we've probably all watched as politicians, business people, celebrities, athletes, pastors, make decisions 
and given to temptation. And in the moment that happens, what can take years to build comes crashing down. And it's not just in the limelight, is it? You and I all know people in our families and in our workplace that gave in and undid a lot when it comes to relationships in just a moment. And if we're honest, if I'm honest this morning, if you're honest this morning, all of us know what it's like in our own personal lives to make a decision that only takes a moment. But giving in to that temptation undoes so much work that took days, weeks, years to build. And not any of us want to be that person. I don't think there's anyone sitting in the room this morning. I know I don't want to be that person that gives into temptation and in a moment takes down all of those things that have taken so long to build. Relationship with God, relationship with other people, maybe a business. Maybe If there's something that's taken a long time to build, I don't want to be the kind of person that tears it down in a moment. You don't want to be the time, type of person that tears it down in a moment. But temptation offers that to us, that if we would give in sometimes and do the things that God says not to do or not do the things that God says to do, we can, in a moment, uh, take down what takes a long time to build. And as we look in Luke chapter 4, where we've parked ourselves the last few weeks, and, and this will be our last Sunday looking at the temptation of Jesus in this passage, we've seen that the devil comes to Jesus once, twice, and today three times, trying to tempt him to give in, to do something he shouldn't do. And if Jesus does it, in a moment, it will undo what God has put in place for thousands of years as a plan to redeem and restore creation. And so we're looking at what Jesus did, because Jesus did what you and I can't do. Jesus faced temptation, and he faced it with perfection. Jesus faced temptation and did not give in. He did what I can't do. He did what you can't do. And so we're looking at what Jesus did and how he did it. And as we do, we learn what we should do. So two weeks ago, we looked at this temptation where Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days. He hadn't eaten. The text says, no surprise to us, that he was hungry. And so the devil comes and says, hey, turn these stones into bread so you can eat. And Jesus recognizes that what he, the devil is offering him is an opportunity to give up his identity for a loaf of bread. And so he doesn't do it. And we said that you and I should be very careful that we don't trade our identity as followers of Jesus Christ in for something as simple as a loaf of bread. Last week, we looked at this temptation where the devil said, if you follow me, I will give you authority over all the kingdoms of the world. He says, all you have to do is follow me and listen to my voice and not your father's voice. And Jesus recognizes, if you change the voice you listen to, if you change your guide, you're ultimately going to change your destination. And we said that we ought to be careful that in our lives, we are listening to the voice of God so that we end up in the place that God wants us to be. And this morning, we come to this third and final temptation, this sort of a standoff between Jesus and the devil. And in this final temptation, we see one more way that the devil tries to tempt Jesus. We see a way that the devil tries to tempt you and me. And we learn something here about how we ought to say no. Here's what happens. It's in verse 9 of chapter 4. 
and he, that's the devil, and he took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This temptation is a really interesting one to me. Because on the surface, it's hard for me to understand why this is a temptation. Why this isn't something that Jesus would just do to prove who he is to the devil and anyone else watching. The devil says, if you are the son of God, maybe even a better way to understand that phrase is the devil comes to Jesus and he says something like, since you are the son of God, since this is your identity as the son of God, the one who has come, the Messiah, why don't you show everyone who you really are? There's almost an air of, of that Jesus deserves this, that since he is the son of God, he should just go ahead and do this. And the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, throw yourself off. It would have been about a 450-foot drop. So you can imagine the spectacle of Jesus standing at the pinnacle of the temple. They're not probably alone at this moment. There would be other people around the temple. If Jesus would throw himself off and land safely, it would be a moment where people would see that he has divine power that normal people don't have. In fact, the devil actually quotes scripture at Jesus to try and convince him to do this. These verses, these quotes that are in verse 10 and verse 11 here, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Those are from Psalm 91. That's Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. And so the devil is saying, since you are the son of God, since you are this identity, since you have this power, why not do this? In fact, doesn't the Bible say that God will protect you and that God will watch over you? Why not prove yourself? And it's interesting because it sounds like the devil is asking Jesus to take a leap of faith or perhaps what we could call a leap of trust. God says this, you're his son. Do you trust him enough to jump? And on some level, it actually sounds like a, like a good question. That yeah, if God does say this and I trust him as my father, why wouldn't I go ahead and jump? But see, Jesus does, recognizes that this is not a leap of trust. This is something else. This is a leap of test, we might say. This is not a leap of trust. This is a leap of test. And it's really difficult to spot the difference between the two. In fact, uh, I don't know that, that without Jesus uh, in his reaction here that I would be able to spot the difference between the two. That the devil would come and say, take a leap of trust. But really what he's saying is take a leap of test. And part of the reason it's so difficult, I think, to spot the difference between the two is because that we in the, in the faith, in the church, we love a good leap of trust story. In fact, the Bible is filled with people who trusted God enough to jump. 
If we were to travel over to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, you might know it as, we would read story after story after story of people who trusted God enough, who listened to his word, as as was said here in Psalm 91, and trusted him enough to jump and believe that if they jumped, God would catch them and that God would lead them and that God would guide them. And so we'd read the story of Noah building an ark before anyone had heard of rain, and of Abraham packing up his family and taking his entire family and all his possessions to a land, and he didn't know where he was going to stop. He just went as far as God told him to go. We'd read stories of Esther and Ruth and Gideon and Elijah and all these great heroes of the faith. We could go back to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and David in front of Goliath and find story after story of great heroes of the faith who trusted God enough and took him at his word and jumped. If our global outreach partners visited in person or if they do a video for us, we want to hear the story of the time that they went to the church that no one had been in for 100 years and took the, took the leap of faith to ask their Muslim friends to come and worship with them. Those are important stories. And if we had testimony night at the church, we'd want to hear your stories of how you, how you trusted God enough to leap and that God was faithful and took care of you and provided. And spotting the difference between a leap of trust and a leap of test is, is really difficult. And when I, was, uh, when I was growing up and, and even now with my own kids, and let's be honest, even when I didn't have any kids, when I went into the dentist's office or the doctor's office and I was waiting for my appointment, if Highlights Magazine was there, I was going to grab it and leaf through it. Uh, I've always been curious to know what Goofus and Galleon are up to. And so I would open that up. And if you go through Highlights Magazine, one of the things that is always in there is they're going to put two pictures next to each other. And they're going to say something like, there are four differences between these pictures. Take your time and spot the difference. And some of you are smart enough to do that. For me, it would pass the entire time while I waited for my appointment. So that was always a good thing. And the leap of test and the leap of trust, you put those up side by side, and it's almost like one of those tests almost like one of those pictures. Can you spot the difference? Two pastors plan a church. It takes courage and boldness on behalf of both of them to do it. But 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you might look and realize that one was a leap of trust and one was a leap of test. Two two Christian business people start businesses It takes an enormous amount of faith, enormous amount of vision to do it, and you look five years, ten years down the road, and you realize one was trusting and one was testing. Two people give very generous gifts to their neighbor, to their friends. They're very generous people, and you realize down the road one was trusting and one was testing. You hold these things up next to each other, and it can be really difficult to spot the difference. And the devil holds this up in front of Jesus and says, you know who God is. You know who you are. Take a leap of faith. Take a leap of trust, and let's see if your God comes through. And Jesus is able to look at that in a moment and say, no, no, no. That's not a leap of trust. That's a leap of test. And you and I better be sure in our lives that if we're going to go do bold and courageous things for God, and I hope you will, and I hope you do, that what we are doing 
is taking leaps of trust and not leaps of testing. So how do we know the difference? Jesus, in this passage, when he recognizes that what this is, is not a leap of faith, it's a leap of testing, is he brings up a time in Israelites' history where they tested God. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 here in verse 12. And he says, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And what that is, what that moment is, is this is a moment in Israel's history where in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is talking to the people, and he says, do not test God like you tested him at Massah. Well, if you go to Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 17, you'll find out what happened at Massah. And that is the people were in the wilderness. You remember the story? They came out of slavery in Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, the Red Sea, all of that as they were waiting for the promised land. And they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they have nothing to drink. And the people get angry and impatient, and they go to Moses, and they say, tell God to give us water. And Moses goes to God, and he says, God, I don't know what you want me to do with these people. They're, they're angry at me again, and they are demanding water. And God says, Moses, take your staff, the same staff you used to strike the Nile when you were in Egypt, and hit this rock. And when you hit this rock, water will flow from the rock. And sure enough, Moses did it, and Water flowed and the people had something to drink. But in the text, in the text it says that the relationship between the people and God was damaged because rather than trust him that he was going to provide the water they needed, they tested him and demanded that he do it. In fact, it said that they tested God by saying, is God here among us? And Jesus looks at what the devil is bringing before him, and he's saying, this is not a leap of faith. This is not trusting. This is not the people being in the desert saying, we have no water, but we believe God will provide. This is a test. This is demanding that God do something, just like the people did at Massah. And so I'm not going to do it. And if you want to know in your life, whether or not you're about to take a leap of trust or a leap of test, I would encourage you to ask yourself the question, whose idea is it to leap? Whose idea is it to leap? If you're wondering in your life, you're thinking of making some bold move, some big decision, something that's going to require faith, something that's going to require God to come through for you, you should make those kinds of decisions in your life. You should be living so that you are constantly dependent on God's work in your life. But you need to ask yourself this question before you leap, before you make the big move, before you make the bold and courageous decision, is, whose idea is it to leap? Is it God's or is it yours? You see, yes, Jesus is God's son. Yes, God says in Psalm 91 that he will protect his people. But it's not God's idea to jump here. It is the devil's idea to jump and make God prove himself. 
If God the Father comes to Jesus and says, listen, this is what we're going to do. I want you to climb to the pinnacle of the temple. I want you to jump. I'm going to save you at the end, and then the world will know exactly who you are as my son. Jesus would have done it. But it's not God's idea. And so Jesus is not going to put God in a position where he's going to take control and he's going to take the reins along with the devil in this situation and make God prove himself. Here's the difference between testing and trusting. When you and I are trusting God, he is leading and he is in charge and you and I are following him. When we are testing God, you and I come up with the plans and we start down the road and we ask God to bless it. I know I'm guilty of that. I've come up with all sorts of ideas in my own personal life, in my family life, and in ministry where I get the team together and we start down the road and we're, I'm going to go do something or I'm going to go fix something or I'm going to do something great. And while I'm going down the road, while I've begun that process, then I look behind me and I say, God, I'm going to need you if you can to catch up here and bless this because if I keep going in this direction, I'm going to be in trouble unless you do something. And when I'm trusting God, he's leading and I'm following. When I am testing, I'm leading and expecting that he's going to catch up. When I'm trusting God, God has nothing to prove. When I am testing God, I'm expecting that he's going to prove who he is. And Jesus takes one look at this. And he knows this is not God leading and him following. This is him leading and expecting God to follow. You know, as we, as we look at this and we look at the different stories throughout Scripture, the biggest difference between Noah and the ark and Abraham moving to a new land, and Moses standing at the Red Sea. The biggest difference is that in all of those cases, God told them to do it. God told them where to go. God told Elijah to build the altar with the prophets of Baal. God told Moses to take the people toward the Red Sea. God told these people to do it, and it took great courage, and it took great effort, and it took great energy to be willing to go and to do that. And you and I better make sure that if we're going to take giant leaps in our, faith, in our walk with the Lord, and I hope that you do, that we are listening to God's voice and not the devil's voice or our own. You know, there's something about this temptation passage that's really intriguing to me. If you look at the first verse in this passage, and then you look at verse 14, as Jesus exits the wilderness, we see the same idea or the same phrasing repeated. In Luke chapter four, verse one, as Jesus enters into the wilderness for this time of temptation, it says this, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, he had just been baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Jesus was led into this situation by the Holy Spirit. And look what it says in verse 14 as he leaves. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out about him, a report about him went out through all the surrounding community. Jesus comes into this wilderness experience full of the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice, and he leaves this wilderness experience full of the Holy Spirit, 
listening to his voice. And if you and I, if you're going to know in your life whether or not you're taking leaps of trust or leaps of test, you have to be listening to the Spirit's voice in your life. Now, how do you do that? How do you hear God's voice above all the other voices? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that there's two things that you need to be doing. If you're going to hear God's voice, if you're going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit above everything else, you need to be listening to God's voice. It's heard in two places, and they go together. They're not separate. They go together. It comes through knowing and studying and reading God's word through the scripture, and it comes through the good counsel of wise Christians. I don't say that it's only the scripture because you see that scripture can be manipulated. Here's the devil manipulating scripture. He's using scripture to try to get Jesus down the wrong road. It is understanding God's word and it is the good counsel of wise Christians around us that it can help us discern the situations we face and help us understand what God is saying. And you see in this moment, in this wilderness moment, as Jesus is facing the devil, there is no time when the devil comes up to him and tries to tempt him. Hey, turn this stone into bread. Jump off the temple. Take all the kingdoms of this world. There is no time for Jesus to say, excuse me, give me a moment. Let me just log into my phone. I'm going to open up the Bible app and let me just scroll through and see what God says here about this. There's no time for that. He either knows what God says or he doesn't. So it's so important in our lives when it comes to temptation that we are hiding God's word in our heart that we are meditating on it day and night as the scripture calls us to, so that in the moment of temptation, we know what God says. You know, there's something that happened recently in the evangelical world That honestly, as your pastors, as a pastoral team, we've been praying for a couple of weeks whether or not to bring up. But we're going to bring it up for two reasons this morning. One is because I think this passage speaks to it. And two, because I know in talking with many of you that you have been hurt by this situation, as I've been hurt by this situation. I'm not bringing this up in any way to try and hurt somebody's reputation or defame somebody, but I think it's instructive to us here. In the early 1970s, uh, Ravi Zacharias began his ministry by evangelizing U.S. troops while they were in Vietnam. And he was so effective in his evangelizing that he was invited around the world and his career began to grow. And over the last few decades, he has been known as one of the foremost Christian philosophers and apologists. An apologist is someone who defends an idea. And he spoke often at places like Harvard and Yale and Oxford and around the globe, uh, debating sometimes some of the, the, the best known atheists and, in my opinion, winning every single time. 
And he has been someone over the years that I go to. When I need ideas for, for a sermon, when I need help thinking through something, I would go to his books, go to his writings, go to his talks. And when people in the church were struggling to understand uh, how different world religions fit in or didn't fit in with Christianity, what the difference was, or how to reconcile things of science with things of faith, Ravi Zacharias is someone I would go to. In fact, I would say to people, if I heard them saying that, that they were listening to someone on TV or radio that I didn't think was a very good voice to listen to, I would direct them back to people like Ravi Zacharias and say, listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. So some of you know, some of you don't, that last year, Ravi Zacharias passed away. And immediately after his death, some accusations began coming out of his relationship and treatment of some of the women that were around him in his ministry. And you always wonder what level of truth it is when these things are said. And so RZIM, his ministry, the board, they hired an independent law firm to conduct an investigation, and they, they looked into his dealings, mostly within the United States. And the report recently came out. It's 12 pages long, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But it's not good. It's bad. And it's definitive. And it's really bothersome to me. It's really hurtful. Sometimes I feel like you can see it coming with some leaders. I didn't see this at all. And as you read through the report, I think for me one of the hardest things to read is not just, not just that these acts took place, but the manip manipulation of using someone's position and power to coerce people into doing things that they didn't want to do. It's a really painful thing. And you wonder, you ask all sorts of questions, you wonder uh, all, about accountability and all these sorts of things in hindsight. And I think that it's important that we learn a couple lessons coming out of this. That as we look at that and we think about temptation, because in a moment, what took years and years and years to build comes crashing down. And God is gracious, and the new relationships that Je with Jesus Christ that began in, those in that ministry, they can continue to grow. And much of the good that was done in that ministry can continue to take place. And, and the work that was started, the seeds that were planted, they'll continue to go forward. But when it comes to his life and his work and his ministry, in a moment, so much is destroyed. And I think we learn a few things. One, we're reminded that our hope and our trust is in God and not people. The message is true that he preached. And two, we recognize we're all susceptible. We're all sinners. And if we do not stay on guard, 
against the attack of the enemy can happen to us too. And the other thing I notice as I read through the report is I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but at some point, Ravi switched from God being in control and God speaking and him following God's voice in his life to him now being in control. And you can hear the language shift in some of the things that he had said to people. Since I am Ravi Zacharias and in this position, you will do this. It sounds a lot like what the devil said to Jesus. Since you are the Son of God, you deserve this. Listen, I hope in your life you take massive leaps of trust in God. God will call you to do things you would never think of on your own. He might call you to go around the world like Annie and Danny. He might call you to give of your resources in ways you never thought you would give. He might call you to take your life and completely switch what it is you do for work. God may call you to share the gospel and the truth with people you never thought you could bring it up to. I hope that you in your life take massive leaps of faith in your relationship with God. I hope you do things that God comes through and you have great testimonies of how God healed and God provided and God converted and all of those things. But I'm encouraging this morning, and what I think that we learn from this text is that you and I have to be so careful that we listen before we leap. That when we take those leaps, we make sure that it's God's voice we're hearing and not our voice. That God has proven himself and we are following, not we are coming up with ideas and then demanding that God prove himself to us. And perhaps you're here this morning and you would say, listen, I already took the bait. I gave in. I undid. What took me years to build, weeks, months, years, came undone in a moment. I want you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the grace and mercy that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus is such that if you've already jumped, and as you're falling, you recognize this is testing and not trusting, that you've done something that was your own idea and not God's idea, that if you cry out for the grace of Jesus Christ, that he will catch you. And it may not be pretty. It may not be exactly the way that you wanted it to all go, but God will catch you in his grace and his mercy. He provided water for the people in Massah, in Meribah. He he will continue to, to develop and grow the seeds of faith that were planted in Ravi Zacharias' ministry. The work will continue, maybe under a different name and leadership, but the gospel will continue to go forward. And in your life, God can redeem and restore and save if you will call out and land on his grace.
So I don't know what the big decision is before you this morning, but I encourage you to listen before you leave. And if you've already jumped, today, confess it. Call out to Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close out our time together this morning. I would invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me. God, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning for your graciousness and your goodness to us. God, I thank you. I thank you for how you continue to work in our lives in spite of our failing. That if we recognize that we have jumped and we shouldn't have when we give into temptation, you provide grace and mercy and healing in our lives. And so this morning, we come to you and we confess that we are sinners. That we have done the things you said not to do. We didn't do the things you said to do. God, I thank you that there is healing and grace and forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that as we follow you with our lives, that you will help us to be able to hear the voice of your spirit. God, we need to hear you more clearly today than perhaps forever before in our lives. So God, speak And give us ears to hear. Give us a passion for your word. Surround us with a good community of fellow believers that we might know what it is you're calling us to do. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you, if you would, would you stand with us and let's close our time together in song.